Hello and welcome to another episode of The Track Record, the podcast where we chat to current and former sports stars about how music has influenced their careers. In this episode, I headed down to the banks of the River Thames in Marlow on a gloriously sunny September day to meet Professor Greg White. Greg is an ex-sportsman that has competed in two Olympic Games in the modern pentathlon, but since then, he's become one of the UK's leading experts in the field of sports and exercise science. Now, most of the episodes I've done in this podcast are with the actual sports people themselves. So it was really interesting to talk about the role of music from both a coach's perspective with Greg, but also really digging into the scientific and physiological effects that music brings to sports people and athletes. Greg has also worked with many celebrities taking on some totally crazy sports challenges for sports relief. So I'm sure he's seen a few characters in his time and I'm sure he's got some good stories to tell. This is the track record with Professor Greg White. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So welcome to the podcast to Professor Greg White. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so Greg, you're an ex-sportsman having competed in two Olympic Games mm -hmm. back in the day. Back I won't, in the I won't day. age you on this one. <laughs> no, age me. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're still very much involved in the sports field as a coach mm -hmm. and in the sort of in the sports science world. Yep. So talk to us a bit about that. Well, I, I mean, I, I was an athlete a while ago, but in days when there was no money. Uh, and so you either worked or studied. And, and I chose to study. I didn't want to work. Um, and I did undergrad in London. I went to the US and did a postgrad, came back and did my PhD in London and then became the director of research for the British Olympic Association. So, so following my athlete, athletic career, I then actually went on to look after five Olympic Games and prep for that. Um, and then since then, I've done other sort of notable stuff, but particularly things like comic relief and sport relief. I, I've looked after 32 big challenges, including David Williams and Eddie Izzard and Davina okay. McCall, etc. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I've been involved in elite sport for over four decades and involved in sport in general for that time as well. And actually much more now around the sort of physical activity field and promotion of physical activity and optimizing activity right. in the general population. Okay. And when you say sports, do you gravitate towards athletics or is it all sports? In general, what I look after is all sports. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm an endurance athlete now. I mean, I, I, I do endurance and ultra endurance. Um, and so I see an awful lot of that. Uh, but equally, we look after boxers, MMA fighters, um, all, all the way across uh, into, into, into a whole host of different sports. Uh, and I think actually, crucially, a, a lot of the work I do around physical activity is just promoting physical activity whatever that sport is whatever you love that's what you get yeah, involved okay. in and when you work with these sports people across the different sports are you the primary coach or do they have a primary coach and you're just adding something on top yeah exactly that i mean I, i'm I, by trade i'm a sports scientist i'm a physiologist um so uh, for some people i am their primary coach um but for the vast majority what i do particularly with elite sport uh, is that i, I support the coach uh, and, and critically the team, because what we see now, un, unlike we saw 20 years ago, where it was the coach and the athlete and that was it, we've now got you know anything up to 17 specialists wrapped around athletes from yeah, wow. biomechanists and strength and conditioning and psychology and all of those. And so invariably what you tend to be now is part of a, a much bigger team. Yeah, okay. And any uh, particular athletes or teams that you've been working with recently? 
Um, I mean, we, we look after AJ, for example, so Anthony Joshua okay. w- within boxing. Um, do, do you know what? We look after people constantly. What, what I have a clinic now on, on Harley Street in London called the Centre of Health and Human Performance. And really what we are is we're a specialist centre. So we see an awful lot of athletes who have got issues uh, around sports medicine, uh, around musculoskeletal, um, who are struggling to find solutions within their own team. And they, they come and see us for specialist yeah. advice. So, so I mean, we see athletes across the board constantly. Okay. Cool. So most of the conversations I've had on this podcast have been with the athletes themselves. And we've mm-hmm. been talking about the way that they use music as part of their preparation yeah. and training and, and things like that. So for you as a coach that works with the athletes, does music ever come into the conversation that you have with them? Yeah, very much so. I think music is is central across the board, actually, in physical activity. So whenever I talk to people who are taking up physical activity, exercise, sport for the first time, all the way through to elite athletes, actually, music is is instrumental in in a whole host of different areas. I think often we think about music just being motivational, and so we use it during sessions or during racing. Actually, it's much broader than that. It's yeah. it's used for relaxation. It's used for recovery. Uh, it, it's used differently in different settings and it's about helping athletes identify what's going to be the right type of music and then once you found that what you're then trying to do is actually create an atmosphere around it yeah uh, so it, it, for some athletes incredibly important for others less so but nonetheless it is central to just about everything yeah you so you get a lot of athletes who just say right i like that kind of music and i'm just going to listen to that kind of music yeah. there's no science behind it there's no reason other than they just like that music yeah do you go a bit deeper than that uh, yes is the answer to that i mean i mean what we know there's a there's a whole sort of school of science now around exercise and music and and good friends of mine are, are world leaders in that area and it's interesting when you look inside it because actually the the music you choose is 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 critical uh to the performance outcome um and, and so, so for example what we definitely know is that things like music is is incredibly valuable in moderate intensity activity so that that middle ground so classically for endurance athletes it's the longer slower efforts the longer efforts at at moderate intensity uh and when you're choosing music for that type of intensity what you have to think about really is tempo tempo matters because we all know this if you go out for a run and you've got something with a really high tempo on it invariably what you have is a very high cadence so so the, 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 the step rate is very very high which you don't necessarily want on those longer slower efforts Equally, in, in other environments, for example, in the in the weights room, um, and, and we see that with people who are spinning, for example, what you want is really high tempo, really motivating type yeah. of music. So, so picking the right music based upon upon tempo, upon tone, uh, and also upon genre. So, invariably, it's a genre yeah. uh, that, that works with that. Actually, is really important, and getting that right will optimize your yeah. your, your training. And, and so, how do you go about doing that? It must be quite hard, you know. There's billions and billions of songs out there in the world like, it <laughs> yeah. must be quite hard to do well i think as with all these things i think personal preference is is really important yeah. you know if you hate a particular genre of music even if somebody else uses it and it works for them it doesn't mean it will work for you yeah so i would say the you know the biggest advancement that we've had in recent years uh over the past sort of two decades within sports science is actually about the idea of individualization we recognize that it has to be bespoke interventions so when people are choosing music you have to work with them individually to find out what is going to work Mm, for them so things like tempo actually is fairly generic so so we know that that whatever that tempo is 
uh, is going to work in certain types of activity. But who's delivering that tempo? What genre of music? What artist is delivering it? It's very individual. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's about matching those two things yeah. together and making sure you're delivering for the athlete what they want, which is going to work for them. Yeah, okay. And in some of the <sighs> endurance events, which last, I don't know, between maybe three hours and I don't know what the longest would be, 10, 12 <laughs> days, hour days. days whatever, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, people wouldn't be listening to music whilst they're actually in the race. Is that right? Well, it, it's interesting because it depends what sport it is, what event it is. But on things like triathlon, on things like road running, yeah. uh, often music is banned. You can't yeah, okay, use yeah. music. And, and, that, and that's an interesting point, actually, because what you have to think about is that if you're going to use music in training, if, if it becomes your crux in training, if it becomes absolutely instrumental in your performance, you have to be very careful because if you come to race and you're not allowed to use it, mm. uh, then obviously that's going to have an impact on performance. Yeah, yeah. So again, making sure that's right. Okay. So it, it, I think, number one, it does depend on, on what the event is and whether you're able to use yeah. music or not. And then again, it comes down to individuals. I mean, some, some people want music from the, the starting pistol to the finish line. And they and they use that music really to to optimize their performance. Yeah. Other people like to dip in, dip out. So they might only use it when they're really struggling yeah. with motivation. They might use it when they're not struggling with motivation, when they're feeling absolutely fantastic yeah. and they want to heighten that that experience. Must be a struggle when they're in the middle of the lake. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it, it's an interesting one because it, it was it was only uh, if I think about this, probably 15 years ago that that we started to see the influx of, of waterproof headsets. Okay. Uh, that we used in swimming. If, interesting enough, at the time uh, when I was testing athletes, uh, we used to do incremental tests where they, where they get faster and faster. And you have what is effectively a click track. You know, yeah, so, yeah. so a musician understands what a click track is. But we used click tracks with athletes, which increased their tempo. Right. And I was taking various physiological measures. That was about you know two decades ago, wow. only that long. But now, I mean, there are good units that you can use mm. in water, underwater. So I explain the concept of the click, click track. So the, the click track, you know, for, for, for a musician, the click track is using, so for a drummer, for example, a click yeah. track is actually just telling them what tempo to play yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, we've got this great thing. I, I work with a, a guy called um, uh, Mark Richardson from Skunk and Nancy. He's the drummer for Skunk and Nancy. We did a couple of um, uh, a couple of conferences where we had him drumming, and, and we do an incremental exercise test to maximum volitional exhaustion drumming oh, and, wow. and he's listening to a click track and what that's basically telling him is what tempo to play yeah, right. and it basically gets quicker and quicker and quicker yeah, and okay. quicker until he can't keep up with it uh, right. and we're measuring oxygen consumption heart rate response all that sort of stuff which again is interesting because lots of people think that exercise and physical activity is traditional it's running it's cycling it's swimming playing the drums let me tell you you should see i mean he reaches a max heart rate into his 190s into wow. 190 plus vo2 max through the yeah. roof while he sat down yeah wow so there's lots of different options to what you can do yeah and, and music is central to all of those yeah of course um so when we've spoken to people who play in team sports like football rugby etc obviously music doesn't play a part in the actual game itself but the pre-game is very important yeah. you know getting making sure that you're up for it right before the game so yeah. in some of the races where you're not listening to music throughout the race do you get involved in the pre-race selections or again is that just down to the actual athlete themselves but so, I mean, it's interesting you, you make that point yes is the answer to that you know a lot of work goes into that prep in, into that into that into heightening and to some extent what you're trying to do is bring about you're, you're trying to increase uh that preparedness for, for exercise whilst at the same time controlling it 
and, yeah. and that, that's the key to it. It's like when people often talk about fear and anxiety as a bad thing. It's not as long as you can control it. Yeah. And often what music can do is it can actually, it can give you an avenue to control it. Um, so, so using music in that sense is, is really important. The interesting thing for me is that when you're talking about team games, what you've got is you've got 15 players in a changing room prepping for, for a rugby match. Each of them has a particular type of music mm, they yeah. like to listen to. And what you've got the option for is one type of music. Yeah. So how you select it is going to be really important. Yeah. Because what you don't want to do is upset anybody before no. you go out on no. the field to play. So and, and often that's why you see individual athletes. You, you, you watch players coming off the, the bus as they as they arrive at the ground and they're often wearing headphones yeah. because what they're doing is they listen to what they want to listen to. Yeah. Um, but equally, I think bringing the team together prior to the match, using music as a, a conduit for that is actually quite an important yeah. thing to it's do. It's a high-pressure job for whoever controls the, <laughs> <is> the pre-game <laughs> playlist. <laughs> if you get you it wrong. Any clangers. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Um, well, one of the good it, conversations I had was with a UFC fighter called Brett Johns, a Welsh guy. Yep. Um, and we were talking a lot about the ring entrance, the walk-on music. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you mentioned you work with Anthony Joshua. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, the, his his ring entrance, the, mu- the music he uses for that has become iconic, hasn't it? And yeah. there's been a huge anticipation. What kind of, I don't know if you get involved in that at all, but like how how much thought would go into that from his point of view, oh, from, my, from the team? Years of thought. Really, I mean, absolutely, and and it's interesting because it is, it is, it's the final piece of preparation, and it's at the point where anxiety and fear are at their absolute greatest. Yeah, you know, I mean, imagine walking <laughs> as a heavyweight boxer walking to the ring that that final hundred meters before you're going to step into a ring against a man of equal size who is looking to knock you out. Yeah, Exactly. It's difficult to think yeah. of, of a situation that was more terrifying. But uh, there must be a balance, though, between needing to be fairly relaxed, but also you kind of want that edge a little bit, don't you? So well, it's, it's, it's control. I mean, you're yeah. absolutely right. It's about control. What, what you can't do is you can't spend it all in the first round. You know, you've no, got yeah. to think to yourself, this is, a, this is you know, it could be 12 rounds plus, you know I mean? And, and it's about it's about how, how you heighten all of those positive traits whilst remaining under control yeah. and that's the key to it so actually that walk-on music is really important add on top of that for me i think the other thing is that that walk-on music is in part for the crowd yeah yeah because what you want if, if it's a home crowd for example what you want is you want them on your side and that's quite yeah. a difficult thing to do that walk-on music suddenly i mean you, when you're at i mean I've, I've seen some great fights in my time and, and what you see is that that it's it's the crowd is frenetic prior to the fight starting but what happens is as soon as that music starts playing, everybody coalesces yeah, to a single yeah. point of attention yeah. and focus. And, and you can feel it. You can yeah. palpate it in the right. room. It's incredible. So it's, how you choose that is, is important. And the guys spend an awful lot of time making that decision. Yeah, I can imagine. And then I guess it must be very off-putting to hear the opposition fighters walk well, on music it, afterwards. It's you know, interesting that's, you say that's that because, that, because that's, that's, a, that's a factor in it too. Yeah. Is that you're choosing something which you, you hope is going to have a, a negative impact on the opposition yeah yeah you know to say so to some extent actually it, it, there's lots of different nuances to, to yeah. this it's not just no. a, bit, a bit of music that they've chucked on and I, i've never seen any boxers play music in between rounds is that is it legal is it pretty sure yeah I, yeah, you'd, you'd have to check the regs on that. But, yeah. but yes, is the answer. Because it would be, that. I mean, a good idea, wouldn't it? If, like, you know, if he's lost focus or something, you know, even thirty seconds of their favorite track. I don't know. I mean, possibly. I mean, I, I think the thing is, in, in that in that type of environment, the 
when you're getting beaten up, uh, <laughs> your zone of focus is actually you watch you know you watch the corner men yeah. when they're talking to to boxers in the corner. And, and what you see is actually one thing it is quite difficult to do is actually get their attention and get right. them to focus. And, and, and what you see is great, you know, great corner men. What they're doing is they're only, they're only giving them one or two instructions. Yeah. They're not, not detailed. It's not a detailed analysis of the last round. It's one or two instructions because that's all they're able to take in that time. I think actually, if you add music on top of that, it just adds to a, to a confusing yeah. message. So yeah. actually the simpler you make it, the more effective it can be. Yeah. So, so it probably wouldn't work in that no. environment. So um, for you, you uh, competed in the modern pentathlon, like, so I can't imagine there's any opportunities for a walk-on song there. <laughs> Not much. <no. laughs> you, do, uh, you do a lot of you know, work in TV and, and corporate work. Have you have had any opportunities to have your own little walk-on song to something you're doing? I have. have, I you? have. Okay. Do you know I, I, <laughs> Weirdly enough, if I, if I do speeches, so, so when I'm sort of doing corporate talks, uh, motivational talks and that I do have a walk-on song and it is bring me sunshine okay with Eric and Ernie yeah uh, and and, and fun to, for multiple reasons I love it it's a great song if you watch it if you watch the video along with it it's just hilarious but I'm a I'm born and brought up in Luton I'm a, a Luton fan a Hatters fan obviously Eric Morecambe is intimately linked to, to the Hatters and it's a song that they, that they sing occasionally right. at, at the ground at Kenilworth Road uh, and so for me, actually, there's a, there's a real, and, and you know, this talks to, to what we're talking about in, in terms of music. It's about meaning, you know, is that actually meaning is, is really what matters. So the Bring Me Sunshine, obviously, you, you're wanting people to be positive and bring positivity. Exactly to right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, it's for the crowd. It's for me, it's, but it's also for the crowd. It's actually, you know, yeah. and it's interesting that it is that switch. It's a turn on switch is that you, you're sat relaxing. You know, as we've spoken about in, in the in in the boxing ring. And it's just that switch to say, you know, the action's about to begin. Yeah. And, and if it, for me, that song in particular is very positive and it, it just gives me that positive vibe and that's what I'm, I'm yeah. there to motivate. Yeah. So it, it's, it sets it off. That's good. Are you using music as a tool to get yourself in the right frame of mind to prepare yeah. the audience as well? Yeah. Um, good. So you mentioned earlier that you work with a lot of celebs. Yeah. So again, it's not a serious competition, but I imagine it's bloody hard, the things you're doing. Yeah, and you yeah, mentioned, yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen some of the things that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, so talk us through some of the events that you've worked on celebs for. There's been some crazy ones, hasn't there? Yeah, I mean, lots. I mean, I, I, so I've looked after 32 sport relief and combat relief challenges. So that started back in 2006 with David Williams successfully swimming across the English Channel, which was incredible. Uh, since that time, I've worked with David a lot. We swam the length of the Thames, 140 yeah. miles, which was utterly brutal. Um, you had... Eddie Izzard's 43 marathons in 51 days. I just cannot believe they did that. It's <laughs> insane. It is, it is. But, you know, and, but, I mean, they're all insane. Uh, John Bishop, Arc to Arch from Arc de Triomphe in Paris, uh, cycled to Calais, rode across English Channel and then ran 90 miles into, into, the, uh, into Marble Arch. Davina McCall's triathlon from Edinburgh down to London yeah. where we swam across that, that iconic swim across Lake Windermere yeah. in February. Uh, Joe Brand walked from... Uh, 140 miles from Hull to Liverpool uh, in seven days. Incredible challenge. Uh, Zoe Ball just last year was a fantastic challenge. Greg James in the, the Beast of the East in the snow. I mean, wow. you know, again, with these challenges, you've got the physical challenge, but you've then got all these other sort of coexisting issues and weather, because we always do that, tend to do those in February, March. 
where them plays a big part yeah. in, in how just to mess them up anymore, even more. Yeah. <laughs> just to add to it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so, what what's the kind of biggest difference between working with a celebrity who's doing a crazy challenge to working with professional athletes? Is there a distinct difference? There's only one difference, and that is where their skill set lies. Yeah, simple as that. I mean, I, th- I think what's interesting that we what, what we're fed in when we watch sport, much like when we watch celebrities, is that what we see is the end game. We see the end product of what's gone before. Uh, and I think that with celebrities in particular, if you watch a singer or you watch a stand-up comedian or whoever it is, what you're seeing is the the end product of <coughs> of two decades of dedication. Mm. You know, so to some extent, they're different to an elite athlete. You yeah. know, they've worked incredibly hard to get where they are. They've dealt with success, but equally dealt with failure. Uh, they have a tenacity to keep going, which is what elite athletes have. So the sort of traits to be successful, and, and in essence, I think being successful in any walk of life, whether it's in business, in entertainment, or in sport, the traits that are required are very similar. Yeah, yeah. The only difference really is where their skill set lies, yeah. is that they happen to be a comedian, not a, not an elite yeah. triathlete. <laughs> well, it sounds like good fun from your perspective. Is there one that stands out as... The best one? God. Is that a hard one to answer? Do you know, they're all brilliant. Yeah. They're all brilliant. I tell t- you, the one that stands out in terms of music, though, is Greg James. Yeah. And we uh, we did uh, five triathlons in five cities in five days uh, a couple of years ago, which was fantastic. Open water swimming as well in, in February. Uh, and then uh, and the great thing about that was it was when George Ezra had just come yeah. on the scene. Okay. Uh, and he just became iconic. I, I still remember it now. Yeah. We'd, we'd be still on the side of the road with Greg doing an interview on radio with George Ezra banging yeah, out. Great. And it's interesting how despite the, the purgatory, I mean, the misery of, of aspects of these challenges, it's, it's interesting how just a, a snippet of music or, or an entire song can lift the mood in particular. And, yeah, yeah. and certainly we do an awful lot around music and mood. And, and we know that it's really, really important in modulating that mood. And it's interesting in these ultra endurance challenges where music can play such a key role, just yeah. occasionally, just flick it on. I mean, I, I did, um, I raced the, uh, the Norseman this year, which they call the toughest triathlon on the planet. Uh, and the support team I had with me were just fantastic. But the one great thing that they did is that, that they would drive past me in the van and they would have the stereo on full blast and I would get 15 seconds yeah, right. of the song. But if it was the right song, yeah. all of a sudden it brought you yeah. back into, into the moment. Yeah, uh, And so it just shows you how potent. Yeah, and um, you know, I was thinking the other day about how with professional sport these days, you know, with the nutrition and the science behind it, it kind of gets a bit samey for many different teams and many different athletes. Yeah. They're kind of using the same techniques. But on the music side, there's a huge amount of diversity. Yeah. I mean, what you just mentioned there is, yes, there's a lot of science behind it. You control the BPM and the tempo to affect how people are running. But for things like George Ezra, if, if Greg James hears Shotgun or, or whatever song it yeah. was, yeah, it there's was, no science was. behind that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very emotional trigger. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. It's very yeah. unique to the individual, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I, th- I think that, that's the key to it. It's, it. it's the meaning, I think, is, is often as important as, as the music itself. Yeah. Is that when you play it... You, it, it transports you to a, to a better time. It, the, the 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 lyrics of the song give you the message that you're looking yeah, for. Yeah. You know, there's lots of reasons why people yeah. that w- why we all have particular tracks that we love, uh, and and I think if you can get that and you can tap into to what what works for that individual, you can have a, a profound impact on their performance. Yeah, yeah. So outside of sports, are uh, you a big big music fan yourself? You mentioned Eric and Ernie. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> you your see, idols. There's not there's not much greater than that. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't. 
I, I like music, you know. I mean, I'm not an aficionado. Um, do you go to gigs and things? I, I do, yeah. 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 So, I, I mean, I, I go to gigs. I've, I've just sort of, I've become part of this revival. Me and a, a good mate of mine, uh, we now occasionally go out vinyl shopping. Oh, uh, right. And okay. I love, yeah. so there's back. something really visceral about vinyl. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's how I was brought up with vinyl. And I think, to, you know, to some extent, it's it's almost going back to to the roots of that, and it's great to put a, yeah, to yeah. put a vinyl on and just listen to it. So uh, did you just pop. do that in the house on your own the just home, to relax? Yeah, and the kids like it. The kids, yeah. and for the kids, you know, for my kids, uh, they're right. young kids. It's like, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. What is that black disc that you're holding? You know, it's good though. It's amazing. Yeah, a bit of culture. But also the thing, the thing for me, the thing on that. I'm sure everyone says this, but the thing for me on that is that you put an album on and you listen to the album. And yeah, what you get yeah. is you get the narrative of that album. You know, the 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 way in which the, the album's been put together, the structure of the album, the, the the order of the songs is for very good reason because it, you know, the artist is trying to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. And for me, with vinyl, you actually do that. You put yeah. it on. You don't swap and change and change change the song. You actually listen to the whole album, and I think you get a much better experience. Through yeah, it. you know, even at a company like Spotify, you know, with the advent of the playlist, you could yeah. you could argue that you're losing that element of storytelling through an album. But there's a lot of people within Spotify who are very passionate about the art form of an album yeah. and the yeah. storytelling aspect. So yeah. you know, they're very passionate about keeping that alive. Yeah. Um, cool. We're going to do a quick fire round. Okay. Happy for this? Uh, well, let's try it. Let's go. <laughs> right, the first one is our first single ever bought. Oh, I can tell you the first album I bought okay, album. was uh, Zenyatta Mondata by The Police, alongside right, okay. Parallel Lines by Blondie. Nice. And both of those just astonishing. And interestingly enough, I'm, a, a good friend of mine is currently working with Blondie. Uh, and so oh, I'm cool. being reintroduced back into that. Yeah, yeah. And, and from a vinyl perspective, when you play that again, that brilliant. It's about good memories. Oh my god, yeah. Um, so the first gig you went to? The Colt Cambridge right. Corn Exchange. Is that crazy? Just the best thing, one of the best experiences of my yeah. life. Just incredible. And they kicked off with She Sells Sanctuary. Wow. And what age are we talking here? Uh 18. Oh, amazing. And it was just in the mosh pit. Yeah. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. I thought, oh, it's kicked off. Quick, what's happening? But <laughs> well, you were going with it. I, I went with it. it. Do you know what? It was. Uh, you know they were just astonishing as a live band incredible great uh last gig spice girls okay <laughs> very predictable well, well like I wembley I, I look after mel c so ah um, right okay so and mel oh c so we were you backstage you well, we were i was up with the kids yeah so we yeah. Were, i took oh, i nice. took the family and we went backstage and, and had a chat with everybody uh but i tell you something that what a show yeah i mean good. you know it it it, it Music-wise, particularly for my wife and, and my daughters, absolutely love Spice Girls. I like Spice Girls, um, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, but I think just as, as a spectacle, the stage show was just astonishing, yeah. utterly astonishing. Oh, it, was, wow. it was a brilliant experience at, Wem at Wembley. Yeah. Um, Favourite band? Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, good. Love I it. Like Hootie and the Blowfish. Crack, crack review mirror. Yeah. Um, just brilliant. And I think, you know, the thing about Darius Rucker's obviously now gone on to do country, incredibly yeah. successfully uh, country um which is a shame because i loved hootie i saw i saw them live at the 96 olympics they played in the athlete village oh wow and i'd never heard of them before okay um and a mate of mine called me down so oh, hootie the blowfish are playing and i'm like hootie and the what fish <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about that'd be ridiculous and we went down to see him live and there must have been i don't know a couple of hundred of us there wow and it was just spectacular right brilliant um so if you could see one act live in concert who would it be it could be dead or alive the jam 
right okay yeah I mean, okay. Paul, Paul Weller, I think, but I'd love to see Paul Weller with the jam. Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. Um, do you have a, a go-to motivational song? Is it the same as the one you mentioned yeah. earlier? Or? Uh, Dreamland, Robert Miles. Okay. Uh, you can go for the extended version if you like, but right. I just think that is... I, I, did the, I did an event called The Race Across America. They call it the toughest cycle race on the planet from West Coast to East Coast, uh, uh, US, 3,100 miles. And I just remember that was the song. If it was when it was getting gnarly, when it was getting really miserable, you put that on, and it just transformed yeah, the environment nice. for everybody. Yeah, you know. good. Um, the best singer that you've sort of worked with or seen in through your profession, either as a sportsman or as a coach. <laughs> It's a tough one, this. I, I imagine what, you've had a few singers. I mean, well, you so know, I've got a, a you know, controversial one. Gary Barlow, you know. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, he, I think that wins that one, doesn't yeah, it? Uh, but, you know, but, I mean, Mel C is amazing. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I mean quite, quite a few, but I think Gary, Gary is... I've asked this question to a few other sports people, and I don't think the bar's been set as high as Gary Barlow and Elsie, <laughs> so you, you win that one hands down. Um, and then the last one is, if there's one sporting moment that once you hear a song, it instantly takes you back to that moment. So if you hear a song that's on the radio, in the bar, wherever, but it instantly takes you back to that sporting moment. Is there one thing that Survivor, I had a tiger. Oh, and, and that's, prob- that's boxing probably... Or? Boxing. Um, was that Eubank? Well, no. Do you know what? My dad was a boxer. Um, and uh, he, he uh, it, I, well, I mean, Rocky Three. I think I think it's the whole thing, really. I think as it always is with music, it's it's more than just the music. It's it's the music. It's the time. It's the film. Yeah. Uh, it's my background in boxing. My dad was a boxer, so I spent a oh, lot cool. of time around boxing. And I think it just it just takes me back to really happy times. Yeah. But incredibly motivating. What a great, what a great team. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I, I don't know this, but if we looked at all of the workout playlists in the world, I'm pretty sure that that would be up there in the most popular songs really, in yeah. a gym playlist or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. running playlist or something. It's, it is a classic. Yeah, you know, but it oh, is, good. but it is a, it is a great tune. And I think when you when you back it with the visual on it, so when you watch the movie, actually. Yeah. It, it, to be in the gym, to be in sport, and to think about that, I think is actually the perfect place yeah, to be. Yeah, uh, fully agreed. Well, Greg, thanks very much for your time in well, such a fantastic setting as well. Yeah, beautiful, yeah, and no, it's great to have you. Um, good luck with your future events. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Lots to come, thanks very much. 